What's up, guys? This is Danny Langloss, and you're listening to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Please hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Consider giving us a rating or review so we can keep growing and help more people. Thank you. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today I'm joined by Luis Gonzalez, and we're going to be talking about how to have difficult conversations, or as Luis would say, fierce conversations. Such an important topic for every leader. Luis was part of the Ritz-Carlton team that helped Ritz-Carlton win the Malcolm Baldridge Award two years in a row right? Two years, they won this award. He worked for Ritz-Carlton for 18 years, started as a busboy, worked his way up through the ranks to senior management. He currently works closely with CEOs. He currently works with leaders, individuals, positively impacting business outcomes through effective communication in a global, multicultural, and remote working teams. He's lived and worked in India, Mexico, Brazil, and in the United States. Luis, I couldn't be more excited to have you join us today. Welcome to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Thank you, Danny. I'm excited too. Good to be here. Yeah, so, so, so exciting. So I always love it when, when we have guests on that are in the consulting world, but that came from very successful corporate type worlds, right? We get a lot of good feedback from that. I, I'd first learn of the Malcolm Baldridge Award during a podcast I did on high-performing cultures. And I did that with Jeff Mariola and he talked about and used Rich Carlton as an example. And then when we did our discovery call and you told me that you were part of that team, it blew me away. So can you help our listeners understand what this award is and how prestigious it really is? It is the most prestigious award that any organization can get for quality of service and quality of culture. And the Ritz Carlton pretty much set the bar for that. Um, you know, various organizations, top of the line organizations, I think UPS is a name I'll throw out. Maybe they won it one year, but the Ritz-Carlton, and by the way, it wasn't the whole hotel company. It was our property. It's individual properties. Laguna Beach, California, we won it in 94. And again, I think in 99. Um, and this is not something that you just decide to do on a weekend and then pull it off that same quarter, perhaps. This okay. requires a year or more of looking under the rug, looking under the hood for every little detail of inefficiency <laughs> and bad service and fixing it and tweaking it to a very, very fine running, smooth oiled, super happy customer and client kind of an organization. Uh, and we won it twice. And I was a part of that team and it was an accomplishment, something I'm proud of. And it was a lot of hard work. I mean, you can imagine, maybe you can't, but just the details that go into preparing to actually set yourself up to be in the running to win the award. Uh, so that's what it is. Uh, it's prestigious. And I'm proud to have been part of the team twice that won that award for our property. Wow. So incredible. So incre all about culture, right? Communication, team, leadership, Everything. vision, strategy, the fine details, execution, the whole thing. Yep. From start to finish, from operations to back of the house to the even to the point where housekeeping as part of to win that award. We didn't know half the time if they were even in house. They would look under carpets. They would expose the deepest, darkest 
corners of the hotel physically to see if there was dust or dirt there. And then all the way to the customer and the guest satisfaction, which we don't even, we didn't even call it guest satisfaction. Uh, you know, how do we wow the guests? How do we blow them out of the water, blow their expectations out of the water? That's Malcolm Baldridge award caliber. That's wow. what we did. That's awesome. Such an incredible honor to have you here today. You started as a bus boy at Ritz Carlton. I did. Yes. Worked your way up. Yes. You told me a story <laughs> in our discovery call where you talked about the pride and the level of service and the competitions, because you're a competitive guy that you guys would have as bus boys to see who <laughs> could, you know, get that table bus the fastest or make it look the best. Share, share a little bit of that with us. Yeah. So first of all, let me just say that the culture of the Ritz-Carlton and mind you, I haven't worked for the organization in 20 years. Okay. But I know they're still that stellar organization. So back then, and probably today, the Ritz-Carlton was known for investing in its people, in its own employees and hiring and promoting from within and giving accountability, giving ownership and trust. And so we, young people, I was 23 at the time when I got hired as a busboy. I was a busboy for one year, got promoted to banquets waiter. And that's the story you remembered me telling you. We would have these high-end, okay, first of all, it's the Ritz-Carlton, a very high-end, top-of-the-line, five-star hotel property just south of Los Angeles, California on the beach. You can imagine the clientele we got from, you know, uh, princes of Saudi Arabia, royalty to politicians to all the actors, actresses, and movie stars in the business that came down from LA on the weekends and everything in between. So these very high-end events that we would uh, host for organizations, big organizations, and we would have these big banquets that you're probably familiar with for any insurance organization or you name it. And in these events, we were expected to deliver over the top. Everything we did at the Ritz was over the top. I remember a director telling us one time, Great, you met customer expectations. You met guest expectations. So what? How'd you blow them away? How'd you blow them out of the water? How did you meet their unexpressed desires and wishes, right? So we had that embedded in us, number one. Number two, from a cultural perspective, an organizational cultural perspective, the Ritz fed into that. The HR people, the managers, the trainers, they supported us to actually take pride and kind of almost make a competition out of it, if you will. It wasn't in those explicit words. And so now here's the example you shared that I'll share with your listeners. I was a banquets waiter. As a banquets waiter, you're in a big hall. Let's say there's 500 people in attendance. So you got 30 or 40 banquets waiters. And here I am in one corner of this big hall, this big event, and I'm working with three other waiters. And together, three of us have, let's say, 10 tables. And there's other groups of three waiters that have 10 tables of their own. So we've all got our little sections. We would have competitions with the other waiters and waitresses to see who could buff out the guest the best. And when we met, it's California speak probably, buff out, meaning everything is absolutely impeccable. And what that means is for the people that are sitting down enjoying their meal, and in those days they smoked, there were no dirty cigarette. There were no ashtrays that were dirty. They were cleaned right away. No crumbs. Wine was filled. Napkins were folded. Everybody had what they needed, and we were on spot. To the point, again, I'll use the cigarette example. I know we don't do it now, but it was culturally acceptable back then. We would wait after the main meal before dessert when people generally break out a cigarette. We would wait with our black lighter in hand, ready to swoop in. As soon as that guest put that cigarette to their lips, 
They didn't have to lift a finger. We were there with the light to the very nth degree buffing out those guests. And we would have competitions with one another to see who could be done first and standing at attention over our tables, knowing that everybody had everything they needed and more. They had what they didn't even think they needed. So we got a kick out of that. Wow. We loved it. And at the end of the night, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., we'd go and we'd celebrate. So, and the Ritz, as I mentioned, they supported that. That's how they got those awards because they invested in us. They had our trust. They knew that they, we knew that they had invested in us and in us, and we had seen other people, our colleagues grow within the organization. So that's how I started busboy to banquets waiter, worked my way up into 18 years later. Wow. So powerful. I hear intentional professionalism. I hear organizational excellence, you know, high performing culture. You talk about the investment in the team and service, but I got to believe, and this is a great transition into our conversation, that communication was at a premium in that organization. And it's at a premium in all high performing organizations. So let's talk about fierce conversations in that framework. Could you kind of give us some background into that? Yeah. So what I do now currently is I'm a facilitator, trainer, master facilitator with Fierce Conversations. We teach people, teams, organizations, people in those teams and organizations, how to improve their conversations. In other words, how to improve their communication. Uh, And it's all about authenticity. And even some people have called it radical candor. You've heard that term before. How do we say what we know needs to be said, what is our real truth without any masks, without any pretenses. How do we say what needs to be said? Yes, in our personal lives, but especially in the workplace, how do we do that to avoid breakdowns, rework, lost clients, perhaps danger and disasters or even injuries and death? How do we speak up in a way that improves all of our results? Okay. Now let me back up and say, we don't Generally, we human beings tend to avoid conversations that we think are going to be difficult or we're not sure what the outcome is going to be. And we prefer to just not say anything at all because I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to be the squeaky wheel or Danny and I work together on the same team so well. And now I got to lay a hard message on him and it's going to make it weird for us to work together. So I'm just not going to say anything at all. Okay, great. That's a human trait. I've been known to do that. We all have probably done it at some point, right? Well, what's the risk? What's the cost if I don't speak up? All right, well, in a hotel or in hospitality, uh, in the hospitality world, um, maybe I'll have a guest that is disappointed. Maybe we'll lose a guest that night uh, if I don't speak up and point out something that I see that needs to be fixed or something isn't quite right or what have you. But if you take it to healthcare, airline industry, construction, and somebody doesn't speak up when they see something isn't going right or isn't going according to how it's supposed to go, but they choose to either stay in their lane. It's not my job. That's not my department. I don't want to step on their toes. Who am I to speak up? I don't know enough about it to speak up anyway. When we avoid that, it could mean injury or even death in some cases that somebody didn't speak up. Think of healthcare. Did anybody sterilize the equipment? I don't know. That was her job. And then you look at her. Did you sterilize the equipment properly? Well, Jim said he was going to do it. Then the surgeon says, come on, let's go. Time for surgery. Let's get in there. You're laying on the table. They're ready to cut you open. And before you slip into sub uh, unconsciousness, you hear this conversation, conversation going on. Who do you hold accountable? 
to clean those scalpels and tools to cut you open. Is it the one nurse? Is it the surgeon? It's probably everyone. So it's all of our jobs to speak up when we see something that needs to be spoken about. And we at Fierce give the tools to have those conversations. Our lives, our careers, our companies, our relationships. I think I said our lives already. Yeah. Either succeed or fail, and it happens gradually, then suddenly one conversation at a time. Now, that's a tagline, so I'll break it down for you. We're either moving towards the results we say we want to get or the relationships we say we want, or we're not. We're moving away from them. It's either one or the other, and it happens one conversation at a time. And in any given conversation, we can change the, the trajectory of that. We can engage in a more authentic conversation with people where the, uh, where the conversations may have become shallow and that affects our relationship and that affects productivity, that affects teamwork, that affects results. So to back up, I know I'm unpacking a lot here to back up. I we love it. Keep going. We, we teach people how to keep it real, how to say what you need to say, what you really know you want to say, what's your really truth, what's begging to be said sometimes, how to say it in a way that enriches relationships. That's key to enrich relationships. Now let's bring it to the workplace. Let's use that same example. Danny and I are on the same team. We got a project. There's a due date on that project. Danny's not pulling his weight. Danny's been late on his part of the deliverables like three times now, and it's dragging down the rest of the team. And now it's stressing us out as we approach delivery date. Danny and I go out and have drinks after work. Our kids play together. And sometimes, you know, we hang out. So it's kind of, it's kind of tricky for me because I have to have this hard message with Danny about, hey, man, you're not pulling your weight. You're missing out on these deadlines. What's going on? Now, when I say enrich relationships, I could look at it from one perspective. Oh, you know what? I'm just not going to go there. I'm going to ask someone else to do it or, or I'll do avoidance strategies. I'll hint to Danny. Hopefully he gets the message or I'll be passive aggressive or whatever. No, I need to get in there and have the conversation with him. How is the relationship enriched by me sharing with you that Danny, there may not, there may be more to the story here that I know. Maybe there's more pieces of the puzzle here that I'm aware of. Let me say that first. I could be wrong here, but from what I see, you've been, what I've experienced, you've been late the last three times on these deliverables and I want to support you. I want to make sure you're all good. I want to make sure that things are, you know, how can I support you with that? Tell me what's going on. Yeah. So with a fierce conversation, we engage you first before I come in and say, Danny, you've been late. This cannot happen. If it happens again, uh, X, Y, Z is going to happen. No, but instead I go in and say, there might be more to the story here than I know. But what I do know, it doesn't look like it's going the way it's supposed to go. Danny, can you tell me what's going on? And then I engage you and you tell me what's going on. And we start the conversation from there. My goal is to enrich the relationship with you, meaning even though it was a hard message I had to deliver, you understand it might've taken courage or guts for me to do it. You understand that I'm actually doing it in service to you to get your back, so to speak, as we would say in street language. And I've also admitted vulnerability. Now, vulnerability may not be the right word. I've, I've also admitted that, hey, I might not have the whole picture here. I could be totally off the mark. Mm -hmm. So when I go in with that perspective, hopefully, there's no guarantee, Hopefully, it'll, it'll enrich the relationship, even if you come back and say, yeah, Luis, don't worry about it. I got it. But thank you, because you know you you know I did it with a good intention. So that's the gist of what we're talking about with Fierce Conversations, how to keep it real, how to be authentic, 
how to say what needs to be said so that we can improve our results, personal and professional and organizational. Yeah, communication, such a leaders struggle with this. One of the things that comes to mind as you were talking about why people don't have these conversations is a concept that I'd heard in, in trainings before, and that's fear of man. Like it is so important for us to be part of groups, to have these friendships, to have these relationships. It's it's important for us to be liked. And so this yeah. fear of man stops us from stepping in to these real conversations, these authentic, sometimes difficult conversations. But one thing I love that you said, and it's something we work on our team with, is when we when we reframe, and instead of looking at this conversation as Luis has been late, I got to hold him accountable. I've got to have a direct conversation with him, right? This is going to be negative. He's going to be upset with me. We say, mm-hmm. I care enough about Luis and he's a good person. And my job is to help him succeed. So I care enough to have a caring and thoughtful, real, authentic conversation with him. What the first side is saying, look, I know Luis is a good guy. I know he's a good worker. This doesn't seem like Luis. So, so what's going on And that engage first. And then the second thing I heard about that engage first is seek first to understand, then be understood. That's right. That's that whole, that whole idea of, Look, I might be missing something here, or I might be wrong, but but help me. You know, you've been laid a few times on these projects. Help me, help me understand what's going on. Is there something I'm not doing? Is there something you need more? You come at it with that caring side. That's a big deal. So as you outline the steps to these conversations, what would like you gave us an amazing example? But like, what are the bullet point steps to that? One, engage first. What? Do Let you me give you have it broke. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll break it down. I got four good bullet points for these are what we call objectives of a fierce conversation. What do I want to get out of a fierce conversation? What's my objective here? Number one, interrogate reality. Whose reality? Everyone's, including my own. So that means before I even start the conversation with you, Danny, I'm going to interrogate my own reality. What's my purpose of having this conversation with Danny? Is it to look good? Is it to get an ego stroke? Is Is it to get some notice, attention, some spotlight? Or is it to help, support, find out more about a situation I don't know a lot about? Interrogate reality. I'm going to interrogate my own first, and then I'm going to come to you and interrogate your reality. Now, key here, it's interrogate the reality, not the person. So I'm not interrogating you. I'm interrogating the situation. Danny, last few times you've had deliverables, you've been late. It's not like you. What's going on? Everything good? Tell me what's up. Just curious. That's interrogate reality. When we, when we interrogate reality, you may come back and interrogate mine. You may say, well, here's what's going on, Luis, blah, blah, blah. And you said you, weren't gonna, you said you were gonna send me emails and remind me or whatever, and you didn't follow through with that. What's going on there? So you interrogate my reality. How do you see it? It could be as simple as, Luis, how do you see this situation? I might start off with you. Danny, how do you see this situation? You tell me, and then you ask me, how do you see it, Luis? And I can say, and this is where enriching the relationships comes in, I can say, wow, Danny, in response to, you know, how you see it. Wow, I see how you see it that way. Oh, I see how you have that perspective. Gosh, I see it so differently. I have a whole different way of looking at it. And I can say that with a smile on my face because we know at the end of the day, gosh, opinions are are, are rampant. Everyone's got a different opinion and perspective on anything under the sun. So it's no hard feelings. We can still go out and have a beer or have to hang out with our kids or whatever after this conversation. But hey, right now I may ask you, Danny, how did you get to that conclusion? You went down path A. Why'd you choose path A? 
you tell me, I've interrogated your reality, you tell me, and you interrogate my reality, how do you see it? And I say something like, wow, okay, I see why you chose path A, I would have chosen path B. You can interrogate my reality some more and say, tell me more about that. Why B and not A? And then the conversation goes, more interrogation of reality happens. That's the first objective of a fierce conversation is to do that, interrogate reality. Okay. When we interrogate reality, learning is provoked. And that's the second objective of a fierce conversation is to provoke learning through the interrogation of reality. Ah, now I've got a bigger picture of the situation than I did when I started the conversation with you. I see how you see it. I see your logic behind the decisions you made or whatever it is. And you probably interrogated my reality and you see how I see it. And it might be different from how you see it. So we interrogate reality. So learning is provoked. When we provoke learning, once I've got a bigger picture of the situation, the pieces of the puzzle that we're missing are now filling in based on what you're telling me and vice versa. You may have had assumptions about how I think and feel, and now I'm clarifying it for you. Pieces of the puzzle are filling in for you. Now with our two complete or more complete pictures of the situation, now we can tackle the tough challenge. The tough challenge in this example I'm using is, Danny, you've been late like on these deliverables and we got this deadline at the end of February and given your lateness, it doesn't look like we're going to make that deadline. What do we do? How are we going to, because at the end of the day, the boss doesn't care about the excuses as to why we didn't deliver on time. They want the delivery on time. So Danny, given that we're now set back um, and I understand now that you've explained to me why you were later, whatever, what are we going to do now? That's our tackle the tough challenge. Finally, Step four, or the fourth objective of a fierce conversation is enrich relationships. At the end of that conversation, my goal, even if we don't agree, even if you stick to your guns and say, nope, I'm going down path A, and I say, I don't think that's the right path, I'm saying path B, that's fine. We can still hang out, we can still be friends, we have differences of opinions, and then we'll have another fierce conversation as to, okay, what's it going to be, path A or path B, because boss is going to want this end of the end of February. You see what I mean? So those are the four objectives. It doesn't always, we know how life is. Sometimes it happens immediately. Sometimes that enriching of the relationship happens later. Sometimes you have a challenging conversation with someone and it's heated. You go home, you sleep on it, you relax. I don't know, you have a glass of wine, whatever. You go for a walk, go for a surf and you come back and you're clear and you're like, you know what? There's something to what Danny said. Actually, that feedback he gave me is probably kind of valuable. Maybe I better take a look at that. And then the relationship eventually becomes enriched. And I come back to you and say, you know what, Danny? Wow, that was a hard message for me to take in the moment. I'll admit it, but man, thank you. I know that took courage for you to even mention that to me. And I know you got my back, man. I, I needed to hear that. I need to improve in that area. Thank you. And you might turn around and say, you know, I got your back, Luis. Hey, please tap me on the shoulder or kick me under the table if you ever see me moving in a direction that's different from what I tell you I need to go. I'm going to rely on you to help me and support me as well. That's enriching relationships. Doesn't mean we agree all the time. We know that. So I love that. The, the, the positive way you come at it, you know, Maya Angelou's famous quote, people forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget the way you made them feel. And it's important yep. as leaders, I just got done doing a podcast interview with Heather Younger, um, who's publishing a book called The Art of Caring Leadership. How we make people feel is super important. And these conversations that are tabooed as negative, that create that fear of man that we dread and we don't have, we're worried about relationships, people being mad at us. If they're done in the right way, it doesn't have to be that. When you talk about interrogate reality and interrogate my reality, one of the things is we do that that fits in 
the first question we ask when there's a problem is what part of the problem am I? How am I contributing to the problem? <laughs> because, right, we're coming to a reality. We can't operate on perception. We can never sit down across from somebody on a perception and be wrong. Like that's very, very damaging. And so we say, what part of the problem am I? And then once we've eliminated ourselves from the problem, then we can interrogate their reality using your terminology, that provoking learning. I hear, I hear a couple skills that are so important to be able to engage in these conversations. One is EQ, emotional intelligence. Absolutely. Understanding your emotion. Let's say something happened and you were upset about it and you have some anger or some disgust or some disappointment. We got to make sure that we're in the right emotional frame to have that conversation. But We've got to go a step further and make sure we understand the person, make sure we understand Luis is in the right position to have that conversation as well. Your example, that's going to be less of an issue. Um, but in certain situations, you know, emotions are going to be high. And then the other yeah. tool I heard you talk about was the power of asking questions. The third tool is listening, right? Leaders' mm -hmm. greatest communication tool is listening and, and, and really understanding what the other person is saying instead of just hearing the words and waiting to respond. Like listening yep. with attention that provoke learning. Uh, I love the way you talk about that tough challenge and then enriching relationships. So thank you for walking through that, provide a little recap. So let's, let's talk about, is now a good time to transition? Because we're going to talk about coaching. We're going to talk yeah. about feedback. We're going to talk about accountability. Is now a good time to transition into that? Or was, is there something else foundationally that you want to cover before we transition to coaching? I'll just touch really uh, briefly on this idea of uh, emotional intelligence or EQ as it's called. Uh, when we are aware of and act actively work on improving our emotional intelligence, and when we engage in those acts of, of improving that, it's usually through conversation and connecting with other people, especially in the workplace, people who report to us or just our colleagues, people around us in the workplace. And it is super important now that a lot of us, probably still a majority of us, are physically separated. I'm working from home right now. I'm not in an office, neither are you, I don't think. And it's even more important now that we connect on a real authentic and dare I say human level. Oh yeah. Other than checking in for, for example, just not the agenda based conversations. Oh yeah. You know, not the project based agenda based conversations. We need even more now to be aware of our emotional intelligence and build what we call it fierce emotional capital keyword there. Capital is like a savings account oh, building yeah. emotional capital by just checking in Danny, how you doing, man? Here we are a year into this COVID thing, man. How you doing? Just checking in. I don't have an agenda for this discussion. I just want to check in. Maybe you report to me. That's building trust. That's building emotional capital. If you do it genuinely, we human beings are pretty good about spotting when people are in, in, in disingenuous with us. We, we smell it. Absolutely. Uh, we, have, we have BS meters, I call them, believability scales. That indicates uh, people are being real with us or not. But that's, I wanted to land on that emo that idea of emotional capital. And, and when I think of what you're talking about there, I think about the concept of leading the whole person. We, we have to, we, we cannot see people as tools to get accomplished what we want in the workplace. You know, I think, exactly. that, I, I think that that might've worked, you know, 20 years ago, 15 Absolutely. years ago, 30 years ago, yeah. it, it doesn't work anymore. And, no. you know, We've got to really lead the whole person, understand and care about what people are going through, understand the impact, the great responsibility of leadership, that while people, when they walk through our doors, are bringing things in with them, 
And if we can help right. alleviate some of those things, we better prepare them to be successful. And, and people, I believe generally, if we got the right people on our team, they want to be successful. But then we also, right. in that great responsibility of leadership, have to understand how what we're doing, the culture, the environment, our leadership is impacting them and what they're leaving our place with, right? And there's a lot of research out there showing the negative health impacts, the way it's impacting relationships, your ability to be a good husband, wife, um, and that EQ and that that emotional intelligence is so important. I'm so glad that you that you mentioned that because just a huge believer in that. It's something we focus on quite a bit. And there's science behind it. And let me just finish this. We can segue in a second, but I just yeah. want to say I've had people push back on me when I talk about that, you know, and, and financial and banking uh, industries, perhaps people that are very uh, logical or dealing with numbers and stuff. This sounds warm and fuzzy to them. We have work to do. There's figures. It's all numbers based and all that. Why are we talking about emotions? I've even had people say, we're not talking about emotions necessarily, but science has backed this up. Look, two Nobel prizes were awarded, one in 2002 and one in 2016. Two different researchers proved, the first one proved we human beings are emotionally hardwired at the core. We make decisions and we're loyal to brands and we're loyal to bosses and companies from an emotional standpoint first, rational second. Proven by science, Nobel Prize won by that. Second Nobel Prize proved they took that, uh, that data, that research, the results of that research and showed that the global economy at its core is emotionally driven. (laughs) President Trump would say something on a tweet and watch the stock market. Okay. So that's, there's science behind this. At the end of the day, we human beings are emotionally hardwired. And that's why we're talking about emotional capital and enriching. This isn't, this isn't smart or or weak on leadership. This is smart on leadership. Absolutely. If if you want to be effective, if you want to achieve and sustain organizational excellence, like you were talking about and driving this teamwork and culture and everybody getting along and motivation and innovation and, and progressiveness and creativity. But that does turn in for people who aren't as interested in that. All that turns into profit, right? It turns into profitability. It turns, you know, so, so at the end of the day, it's all related and the, the companies that are getting this right are, are just really kicking butt when it relates to the companies that are getting it wrong and, and really losing their most talented people and, and keeping people who yeah. maybe feel like they, they can't go do something else. So let's transition into okay. coaching and the coaching framework as we talk about it for Fierce Conversations. What are some of the key components of that you want to share today from your expertise? So from our perspective, from the Fierce Coaching Model perspective, and from what I understand, uh, you know, being familiar with coaching and having been a coach, and it, it, it's pretty much the same. It's questions-based, Socratic questioning, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our own model, the way we do it, and it's a series of questions, basically. But key points are this. Questions only, no advice giving. And don't be satisfied on the surface with the first answer you get. So the the motivation behind coaching should be, or I shouldn't say should be, from our perspective is uh, to help people, leaders of people in organizations, help their people who report to them figure out solutions for themselves rather than always coming to the boss or the manager or the leader asking for what should I do? What would you do? Here's my situation. How would you handle this? Now, I want to make sure we're clear. This is not about training. This is not step one, step two, step three. That's different. That's not coaching. That's training someone how to do something. What we're talking about is problem solving here. 
So I generally will ask leaders, you know, how many of you who lead teams, we have people who report to you, how many of you wish that your people would figure out their solutions for themselves and you don't have to be the problem solver? 99% of the people will raise their hand. How many of you find yourselves having conversations with the people that report to you, giving advice on what they should do or what they might not do or would be better doing? They raise their hands, okay? So how do we have a conversation, coaching conversation with the people who report to us or even people around us, maybe they don't report to us, to help them figure out, come up with solutions to their own problems, situations, challenges on their own. Couple of reasons we wanna do that. Number one, I'm the leader and I'm busy. I don't have time to give advice to all and why I hired them is in hopes that they would figure stuff out for themselves, right? So I want to give them the tools and I want to be there to support them to help them do that. Number one. Number two, it's it's empowering for them, for us human beings. When we figure out stuff on our own, the research has shown it's more impactful in our brains. When we're given advice, the part of our brain that does problem solving, and I'm not a scientist, so don't quote me on my words here, but the problem solving area of our brain is basically inactive when giving advice. It doesn't resonate. It doesn't land. It doesn't stick. So we're actually through coaching conversations, which are all questions, helping that person come to their own solutions and owning it because they came up with it. It wasn't given to them, given to them through advice. So could start off with, I'm a leader. One of my team members comes to me and says, I got something on my mind. I'm not sure what to do about it. Great. Let's talk. Sit down. Or we set an appointment and we talk about it. And I start with questions. What's the issue? Great. How long has it been going on? Tell me more about that. I dig deep. I'm not satisfied with the first answer. Who else is it affecting? What else is it affecting? How's it affecting you? How's it affecting profits? What else? How else? Who else is it affecting? Okay. And then I just start going through the questions. Okay. If it doesn't change, what does that look like next quarter? What does it look like, you know, in six months from now? What are the results from that if nothing changes? And here's what's key about our model. After every set of questions we ask, what do you feel about that? And I would get a lot of pushback when I used to train this in the classroom pre-COVID days. People would, and often still they do even virtually, why do I need to ask them what they feel about it? Uh, Especially in the corporate world, sometimes it's like, you know, as we've mentioned already, some of his feelings are not generally welcomed and emotions in the old days weren't. So why bring emotions? Well, emotions are the catalyst to action. Okay. So I want them as I'm walking through these questions, what's the issue? Tell me more about that. And if nothing changes, what does that look like? And what do you feel about it? So first I ask, what do you feel about the issue currently? I'm frustrated. I'm angry. Uh, Whatever their emotions are. Okay. Then what does this look like six months from now, next quarter, nothing changes, status quo. What does that look like? They tell me. I ask more questions. What else? Who else? How else? What else? And given all of that, what do you feel? I feel worse. I feel even more frustrated. I feel so angry. I feel like whatever it is. Okay, great. Then I ask them, what was your role in this? (laughs) I didn't have a role in this might be the response. Okay, great. If you could turn the film, if you could rewind the film, what would you do differently? They may say, I couldn't do anything differently. Okay, but I'm just asking the question to get them to try to think about accountability. Own where maybe they had a role in it or own where they could have maybe changed the direction it was going. If it exists, maybe it doesn't. Then I ask them to paint the vision. What does it look like when it's resolved? What does resolution look like? What else? What are going to be the benefits of that? 
What are the pros? What else? Who else? How else? Tell me more about that. I dig deep, keep peeling that onion. Because if we're satisfied on the surface, we're not serving them. They may be only answering what's at the top of their head. I may ask who else? What else? How else? And there may be silence. I may have to get comfortable with 15 or 30 seconds of silence while they think and process it. But guess what? It's worth it. That uncomfortable silence is worth it because they may, and I've seen it happen, come up with, you know what? Now that I think of it, it's X. They just thought of that. I didn't advise them. I didn't suggest it. And I was comfortable with the silence to allow that to come up from within them. And that's powerful. And then I ask, wow, what do you feel about that? I feel empowered. I feel like I'm ready to go. I feel like, and so now the emotions have shifted from a negative to a positive, And now they're feeling the good feeling that they're going to get, even if it's a little bit of hardship to get to that feeling, to go through the, the challenges of whatever it is to get that result. I'm showing them what it's going to feel like by asking them, what do you feel? I don't ask them, how does that make you feel? Because that's all about accountability. If I ask them, well, how does that make you feel? I'm allowing them to place outer circumstances or people in charge of their emotions. So I just ask, what do you feel about that? So they tell me I'm feeling good about it. And then I say, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? What's the, what's the one first step you can take to move it towards resolution? I have to keep in mind that in the workplaces, in, in big organizations, they may be trying to move a mountain over a period of four quarters. So I don't ask, you know, what are you going to do to resolve it? I say, what's the one step you can take to move this towards resolution? It may be as simple as I got to have a meeting with my boss. Got to make a meeting with the, the stakeholders. Great. When are you going to do it? Do it in two weeks. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. When are you going to do it? I'm going to do it Friday the 13th. Great. Can't wait to hear how it goes. Circle back with me. I'd love to hear how it goes. And if I can provide you with more coaching, we'll do it. And then maybe they'll come back and coach me. I don't know. But that's it. That's it in a, in a nutshell. Asking questions, going deep, looking at the current situation. What do you feel about it? And if nothing changes, what does that look like? What was your role in this? If you had a role in this, what would you do differently? What does resolution look like? And when you think about that, who's going to gain from that resolution? Who else? Who else? What else? How else? And when you think about all that, what do you feel? And what are you going to do about it? And when? <laughs> and Oh, and what are the challenges that are going to roadblock you as you move yeah. forward? Be prepared for those challenges. So that's basically it. We call that mineral rights. It's our mineral rights model because my main theme along with don't ask questions and no advice giving is go deep. It's not about speed. It's about depth. Ask questions more. Tell me more. What else? What else? What else? And people, when I first, well, in, in a session, in a workshop, and I'm training them how to be coaches like this, I get pushback. Like, gosh, ask what else? Like three times? Isn't that really kind of annoying? Yeah, it may sound annoying right now, but watch. When you get in the coaching session and you ask that person you're coaching the third time, what else? Or who else? Yeah. And you yeah. allow 15 seconds of silence, you will see why we do that. You're digging deep. And that's where the real solutions tend to lie deep within us. And we have them. They're there. So that's our that's coaching for us. You know, I, I think of the, the phrase, something we talk about, you know, great leaders are great multipliers. And while it might be easier in the moment and quicker in the moment to give advice or to tell somebody what you do, all you've done is made sure the next time they have an issue or a problem, they come back to you. And right. so that investment in time, even if you're going to spend a half hour or 45 minutes or an hour on this one topic, 
when you teach this and when you empower people and when they see they have you know, permission to solve their own problems. They don't have to come to you and you create a growth mindset versus a dependency mindset. Wow. And the next thing you know, when you've done that enough within your team, you're sitting around and things are running amazingly, right? If you want to check in and be proactive, but they need you so much less. And then you can get back up to 30,000 feet as the leader and do the things that you need to do. The other thing I heard that was so important, I mean, all of it was, but the way you do this and, and dial in is you have to make sure through questions, not pointing it out to them, that they're able to figure out what the actual problem is. Not just surface what appears to be the issue that caused this, but digging deeper, because if we can solve the root of the problem, all these other things go away. And so truly understanding that, you know, go deep, go slow, and the emotional side of this, emotion is the catalyst to action. I looked down, right. I, I wrote that, I put it into a quote. I, I thought it was, I thought it was really good. So let's let's transition. Thank you for that. Let's transition and talk about giving feedback. Maybe mm-hmm. feedback somebody doesn't necessarily want to hear. Walk us through that. Well, first of all, I want to just say this. We used to frame feedback as positive or negative, constructive feedback, positive feedback. From the fierce perspective, feedback is just feedback and it's all positive. It's all good. Whether I need course correcting, as we call it, or whether you're telling me stay on course, you're headed in the right direction. It's all positive feedback. Feedback is meant to support. So the way we look at feedback, I love our analogy. We look at it like GPS or like your Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever application you use on your phone to help you get from destination A to point A to point B. That little voice comes in and tells you, Stay on Highway 5 for the next 300 miles. You know you're good to go. You don't need to make any turns. You are good for 300 miles. Keep going. That's feedback. Sometimes that voice comes in and says, traffic jam ahead. There's a detour you might want to take. Make a left. Or you've passed the destination. Rerouting. Make a U-turn. That's feedback. I look at feedback in the same way. And that's why it's positive. So first of all, um, let me just say with giving feedback and asking for feedback or kind of, I'm going to separate them. I may see, and and again, it involves interrogating reality. So let's say, for example, we're in a meeting, right, Danny? Let's say it's pre-COVID times, seven of us in a room, you're leading the meeting. Jane raises her hand to like offer something to the conversation. And I observe you look at her, ignore her and call on someone else. I think to myself, hmm, if we're trying to create a culture of inclusion where everyone's voices is heard, voices are heard and valued and respected and et cetera, et cetera, that behavior doesn't look like it's going to foster that. I probably need to go talk to Danny after this meeting and raise it, raise it to bring it to his attention. The old way or the way I would have done this previous to my understanding the fierce feedback model would have come to you and said, Danny, at the meeting today, Jane raised her hand. It looked like you ignored her and called on. I don't think that behavior is a way to foster an inclusion, a foster an environment of inclusion and on and on I would go. What, what really is unique about the fierce feedback model is I will come in and say, hey, Danny, today at the meeting, Jane raised her hand to offer some input. Looks like you ignored her and called on someone else. That's not like you. Can you tell me what was going on there? Again, I interrogate reality before I come in and tell you what I think you should have done. 
you may come back after that and say, oh my gosh, I didn't even see her. I've been up with my newborn baby all night. I'm tired. I got to go apologize to her right away. Thanks, Luis. At that point, Danny, I don't need to give you feedback. You got it. I can go back to work. But what if you come back and you tell me if I say, hey, you, you know, looks like, you know, Jane raised her hand. Looks like you ignored her and called on someone else. Can you tell me what was going on there, Danny? It's not like you. And you go, yeah, Luis, you know her. She never shuts up. She takes for, she makes a point. She takes forever to say it. I'm trying to get in the meeting on time. Then I might need to come in and say what I said a moment ago. Well, I get it, Danny. And uh, if we're trying to create an, an environment here, a work environment of inclusion where everyone's voice is valued and honored and all that, I don't think that's going to put us in that direction. So how can I support you? What do we need to do here? I got your back, you know, and it's feedback at the end of the day, you can take it or leave it. I'm not confronting you on it and sitting you down and saying, this has to change. It's just me giving you feedback at the end of the day, me, the feedback giver, I got to let it go. You're going to do with it as you will now with, and it's the same thing, by the way, for positive feedback, I see you knocking home runs to use that, uh, that, you know, that example that we use sometimes you hit a home run in terms of projects or results or goals or whatever. I'm going to give you positive feedback. It's the same way. Hey, last quarter, you really wowed that client or that, you know, whatever it is. And wow, you brought in $40,000, $400,000 extra of revenue on that. Tell me about that, Danny. What was going on? <laughs> That's amazing. Can you tell me about it? Then you tell me. I'm engaging you in the conversation. And then I give you the feedback. Dude, that is the way to go. You rock. Keep doing that. It's still feedback. It's telling you, keep going. It's like the GPS telling you stay on Highway 5 for 400 miles. The other scenario where you didn't call on Jane and you told me, yeah, you purposely did not call on her. That's the GPS voice coming in saying, make a U-turn, man. You're not headed in the direction you say you need to go. Last thing I want to say about feedback is one thing that I'm finding recently more now, maybe it has to do because we're, we're all physically separated and all that, is leaders for various reasons, we don't think to ask for feedback. And if we're not getting feedback voluntarily, we don't think to ask for it. And we tend to think, yeah, no, no, this is good news. And we know that's not always true. So I always encourage leaders, number one, are you getting feedback from your, from your people, right? Positive and, you know, uh, helping people, what do we call it? Constructive feedback. If you're not getting feedback, are you asking for it? And then that begs the question, what do you do with the feedback when you get it, especially when you don't know what to do with the feedback you just got, but you want to keep the trust going and you want to keep the feedback coming, if that makes any sense, right? So I'll, I'll pause there and see where you want to go with that. Yeah, no, I mean, if you're asking for feedback and people give you feedback, if you say you've got, you want people to be innovative or creative or whatever the case may be, right? And people bring you stuff, whether it's feedback or ideas, and they constantly don't see any change, they're going to stop bringing you feedback. Or exactly. Ideas. Yes. And no, I love, I, I love you good. talking about two, two types of feedback, like stay on the course or course correction. And That's then I also, I also like the, the idea of giving versus, you know, asking for feedback. And, and one of the things that I work with leaders on and leaders within our team is like, when you ask for feedback, you better have your poker face and game face on, right? Because you asked for it. And they're hesitant. I don't care if you're the most approachable leader in the whole world. You're the boss. And in the hierarchy, that matters. And they're looking for your reaction. And they're looking. Right. And, and, if, and if, if we 
don't have our poker face on it. It's something that kind of hits at our core and we're having trouble with it. We put out this big stop sign and say, stop, stop. And they do, they stop because you weren't ready for it. You said you were, and you weren't ready for it. So making sure that we understand our emotions and how they're coming across in, in really being ready to take that feedback. And I was talking to Ron Carucci and who, who just is an incredible expert out there in the field doing a whole bunch of great stuff. And he said, if, if you're going months without anybody coming and giving you some constructive feedback or things we got to work on, or here, there's some issues or problems, like you've got a bigger problem than you realize, <laughs> because yeah. no matter what people are people and there's always something going on, right? Even, that's right. even we're not perfect and, and that's okay, but we got to create an environment that you've talked about to where somebody can come in and say, Danny, you know, you talk about inclusiveness and diversity and empowerment, everybody's ideas. And when you went through the meeting there, man, you, she raised her hand and you just skip right by her. That's right. And, that's you right. know, so that's, yeah, I think all those things are just really, yeah. That plays powerful. That, that plays into, into, if you don't mind me saying the, the, you know, being genuine and authentic and me saying earlier that, you know, we human beings can sniff that out really quickly. Yeah. Look, I've seen yeah. it happen. I've worked for bosses that have done it. And now I train other bosses on how not to do it. Hey, I want your feedback. You know, they, they, they say the corporate uh, speak thing. Uh, I want your feedback. We want to create this strong team and I need your feedback and all of that. And they say it. And then the team might be afraid. They may have fear behind it. This is weird. This is new. They've never done this before. Maybe the culture of the organization is trying to move in a different direction and it's weird. This is unusual. So people are hesitant. One person on the team will, will dare to test the waters. They'll stick their toe in the water and say, okay, Danny, um, I got some feedback for you. They'll give you the feedback. And if you stop them mid, mid you know, paragraph or let them finish and you say, yeah, well, yeah, but, well, thank you, and but, or whatever. Yeah. Everyone else, like you said, is watching that, and they know you didn't mean it when you asked for feedback. And I think that's what you mean by poker 100%. face. 100%. Yeah. You've got to be able to say, hey. But, but, but you could, but, here, but here's the thing. When I say the poker face, right, it's just that we're all human beings. Like you have mm-hmm. to truly want and mean that you have to be authentic in the fact you want that feedback and that advice, but we're all human beings. And sometimes we're not prepared for what somebody says to us. And we're just a human being. We wanted the feedback, but we just weren't ready to handle the feedback. And, right. and in those like situations, for it. yeah, I think we got to be, you got to be ready for it. You got to be intentional about that. Um, and, and understand that when you're taking that feedback, you're, you're, you're not judging whether it's right or wrong. You're just accepting it. Right. Yep. That you can judge whether it's right or wrong later, because um, people don't have the full 360 a lot of times that we have. But so we've got just a couple minutes left. Let's transition if it's okay into accountability, because okay. accountability, you know, feedback, coaching, most of that is 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 you know a lot more positive. Can be to some people not not what your model is. I love how you've transitioned that to to it's all positive. But let's talk about that accountability. Can you, can you take a little shallower dive into that? So for me and for us at Fierce, accountability is a mindset. It's a personal, private choice we all make as individuals on how to live our lives in the, in the corporate world or in the business world or in the workplace, I should say. You cannot mandate accountability. You cannot train people to be accountable. You really can't hold people 
accountable, even though we use that expression. Accountability is a choice that we make. And now in the workplace, we use, or in my training, I use an expression, if it's to be, it's up to me. In other words, if I see something that isn't right, or I see something that's off key, off balance, or isn't whatever, I, if I see it, I need to speak up about it. The pushback I get is, well, hey, if I'm accountable, that means I'm going to take on everything. No, it doesn't mean you're going to take on everything. It does mean that you're going to maybe you notice it, you'll speak up about it, or you'll move it in the right direction. You'll bring it to someone's attention. You're not going to ignore it. Not having accountability is very common in the workplace. We know it as not my job. Who here has heard of, you know, somebody that maybe you've said it, not my job, not my lane, or I'm not going to say anything to them because it's not really my department or whatever. That's lack of accountability. Now, how do we promote accountability amongst the people on our teams, the people that report to us, perhaps? First of all, we got to model it. We've got to be able to make that choice for ourselves that we're accountable. How do we do that? I do this every day. Let me share with you on a personal level, Danny, what I do every day, especially since 2020 and into 2021 with everything that's going on in the world right now. Life doesn't always go as we planned it. Life changes. We may make plans and then life changes and those plans uh, shift and they're not made. Now I can sit and cry about it. I can mourn about it. I can lock myself in a Netflix cave for a weekend or more about it and wallow in it. But at some point, I have to ask myself, given the current reality, given the current situation that maybe I didn't ask for, that is unpleasant or might even be tragic, given these current situations, given the current reality, what can I do to move this in a different direction or feel better about it or get a different result than just doing nothing or or being negative about it? To me, it's as simple as glasses half full or glasses half empty or uh, is it a bowl of cherries or a bowl of pits? You know, how, how are you looking at it? Now, it doesn't mean life is always rosy, but again, given the current situation, what can I do? So I have that conversation with myself pretty much on a daily basis. Control the controllables, life, right? Life changes all the time. I wake up in the morning. I'm like, I was almost going to say a, an expletive. Stuff is going to happen today that is out of my control and that did not go according to plan. I'm going to be able to, to, to turn on a dime with that. I'm going to be able to work with that expect it. And it's all how I look at it. It's all on my perspective or my context on how I look at it. Now I'll admit easier said than done. It might take me two or three days to go, okay, given the current circumstance, what can I do? But I've learned to get out of it. I'll allow myself a day or two to feel the negativity and then I get out of it. So in having that conversation with myself, I can now have that conversation with other people that find themselves in what I call the victim mentality or the victim mode. Very dangerous. out of outer circumstances, other people, outer situations, everything is against me or is dictating my reality. I'm a victim in all of this. It's not my fault. Uh, it's out of my control. And the tricky thing is, Danny, is that you're absolutely right. You didn't ask for this. It is out of your control. It does suck. And given the current reality, <laughs> what can you do to move it in a different direction? So, Let's translate that to the workplace. I'm a leader of a team of X amount of people, and I got a lot of lack of accountability on my team. People are all about not my lane, not my job. Um, you know, oh, woe is me. This is horrible working from home. I never asked for this. Whatever that victim mentality is, 
It's very similar to our mineral rights coaching model, which we talked about a few minutes ago, engaging in a conversation with them without giving any advice and asking them questions. What is going on? Tell me more about that. How long has it been going on? What are the results? What are you feeling about that? If nothing changes, what does that look like? What are those results? What do you feel about that? What role did you play in this? Oh, you didn't play any role in this? How do you see it playing out differently? What does resolution look like? What role can you play to move it towards resolution? I'm not asking you to resolve it, but I'm asking you what one thing can you do to at least push that towards resolution? I might have to let silence do the heavy lifting. I might have to let some silence happen and then until they come up with, you know what I can do? I can at least raise that issue at the next meeting with the leadership and see what they do. Okay, great. When's that next meeting? Next Wednesday, great. Next Wednesday, you're gonna bring that up, move that towards resolution, won't all be resolved, but at least it's movement. When you think about that, what do you feel? I'm feeling empowered, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling like I have some control. Great, can't wait to hear how it goes. Circle back with me after that meeting next week and we'll take it from there. So all I've done is had a conversation with them and I've had them look at the context and I've asked them, they told me, I didn't ask, I didn't tell them, I asked them, what do you feel about that? What are you gonna do about it? Etc. You just I won't belabor what I just said. I, I no, and I love it. The the comments accountability <laughs> leaders leadership tools critical critical leadership tools especially when we're talking about fierce conversations is asking questions. That's core. That's foundational questions. And one thing I want to say, you made a point, and before we end time, I want to say this to all the leaders and everybody else that's listening as well. Time, Luis, we're all so busy now. I don't have time to sit and have a coaching conversation. I don't have time to sit and have an accountability conversation. First of all, you said it, Danny, it's an investment. Yeah, it may pinch you in time right now, but the long-term uh, in, uh, return on your investment is great, number one. Uh, so time, look at it as an investment. And I forgot the other thing I was going to say, but that's the main point I wanted, I wanted to mention. That. Yeah, it's an investment think, in time. I think that's a good call to action. Look at coaching which is an essential leadership skill now. Coaching is such an essential skill. Look at that coaching as an investment. And so Absolutely. the challenge to leaders is to look at that coaching as an investment. Louise, amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. I mean, there's there's a reason why you guys teach these things in multi-day workshops, right? And we got an hour <laughs> for the podcast today. But, I know. <laughs> I'm looking forward. I'm going to go back you know, uh, for the listeners, you know, now when we release the podcast, we're also releasing a transcript and that can be found linked in the podcast description. Um, it's tied into documents on LinkedIn. So it'll take you right there. It's really handy. It's something people had asked about. We figured out a way to do it and, and be able to bring it home. But so many takeaways. I'm going to go back and look at this and figure out where I want to dive deeper. And if you're up for it, have you back, you know, here in a Love few it. months. To, because what we're talking about right now makes or breaks most leaders. You can have great vision. You know, you can really connect with people. You can have great strategy. Uh, you, you can have great execution from your team, but your culture is going to fall apart if you don't, if you can't have these fierce conversations, these critical conversations, because accountability on another side, you know, when there isn't accountability and, and when things are allowed to run amok and nothing is said about it and you can't, you don't, you know, you don't have the courage to confront as Brene Brown would talk about courage over comfort. It really, it can destroy great organizations when you're doing everything else right. And you've given an incredible blueprint to do that. So Luis, if somebody's looking to find you, where can they find you at? Uh, first of all, yeah, thanks for asking, by the way, Danny. 
uh, I would recommend, please, if you're a leader or just part of a team and you want to transform your own communication in the team uh, or your own personal communication, go to our website, fierceinc.com forward slash events forward slash podcasts. F-I-E-R-C-E-I-N-C. I think you'll probably put it in the notes as It'll well. It'll be in the notes. Yep. And I'm directing you to events and podcasts so that you can listen to this podcast again or access other podcasts there. We also have a resources tab where there's tons of free resources on just what we were talking about today. So go to fierceinc.com, poke around there, see what you can find. And I love expanding my network. So join me on LinkedIn, Boom. LinkedIn dot com forward slash i n forward slash my name i got it years ago luis gonzalez all one word well there'll Join be a direct me. link in the in the podcast description great you'll be able to click right on it and go straight to your profile within linkedin so they can connect with you awesome. easily you know i really again i appreciate you coming and talking to us today you covered some different objectives that that really you know, transition through everything you guys do with these fierce conversations, you know, interrogate reality, you start with your own reality, then the reality of the other person, uh, provoke learning, you know, take on the tough challenge. Okay. What is the tough challenge? And then enrich relationships. You talked about those emotions and understanding those emotions and making sure that every conversation like builds on the relationship that we're intentionally making deposits in our account, because as leaders, we're going to have withdrawals. But That's so right. we're intentionally doing that and, and knowing that it's going to take time just because you, you learned how to sharpen our, you know, our skills up here and have these conversations. It doesn't mean the person sitting across from you is going to, you know, have a light bulb moment in the conversation. Sometimes we need a, 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 right. a day to sleep on it or, you know, a couple right. of days to think about it, but, but always invest. And if you're not feeling good yourself, maybe the other person is it and, and reapproach that conversation. I think it's so, so important. Luis, thanks again. You, you, you've been a complete and total rock star as I knew you would such an important conversation. Thank you so much. Danny, it was a real pleasure. I can't wait to come back. Thank you. Awesome. Appreciate awesome. It. To our listeners, uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, make sure you smash that subscribe button. So you never miss another episode. Consider leaving us a rating or a review and remember always be committed to excellence. <laughs>